morning, everyone. It is, uh, it is such a privilege to, to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm from Cape Town. I have uh, three daughters and one wife. <laughs> and uh, it is such a joy to partner with you for the gospel. That's what we're doing. And um, it is traumatic taking a teenager shopping. Yes? Yeah. Someone agrees with me. But we um, have actually brought 46 teenagers to East London. Um, they are uh, uh, visiting this morning at Everyday People, and then they're going to do two holiday clubs, and we split them into three teams, and um, the third team is going to be doing outreach uh, in different areas in and around East London, which we are so excited about. It's just such a privilege to be able to partner with churches in this city. And um, Michelle and I love this city. Um, I was just thinking about it um, as I was driving here. Both of my sets of grandparents uh, grew up in East London, and my mom grew up in East London. Um, so I can't, we kind of feel like this city is there's something in our blood in about East London, and so it's just such a joy uh, to be here. And it's so great hearing um, that there's like a great grandfather uh, here uh, with with his uh, grandson, and um, that's just amazing. And and as we were thinking about this being Father's Day, I just felt like God kind of say to me, won't you ask, who are you fathering in God? Who are you fathering in God? Or who are you mothering in God? You may have heard the, the upcoming generation being called a fatherless generation. And I felt like God said, it's not a fatherless generation to me. But I want to use you to father the next generation? Who are you getting alongside and saying, hey, I want to draw you, I want to help you, I want to encourage you to trust in Jesus? So can I encourage us to do that? Why don't you just take that as a challenge from God? Who are you fathering in God? If you've got your Bibles, um, why don't you jump to Psalm 18, or your phones, or if you're sitting next to someone with a Bible, uh, I'm allowing you to share. Psalm 18. And I'm calling uh, this morning, uh, God my strength. God my strength. I'm going to um, start with verse 1 and then we're going to jump a little bit. It's quite a, it's a massive uh, psalm, but um, there is so much in here that it's just so rich. So just dig in. Starts in verse 1. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress. And my deliverer, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I've been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of the grave called around me, the snares of death confronted me in my distress I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. 
dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky, out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of your breath from your nostrils, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foe, foes who were not too strong for me, who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. I'm jumping to verse 28. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hand for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet, so that my ankles do not give way. And jump to verse 46. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God my Savior. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much for this incredible psalm. Thank you that your word is alive, and thank you that you are alive. And I pray that you would speak into our hearts. I pray that you would fortify us and strengthen us and encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is quite a lengthy uh, passage uh, written by David. What is the context here? David is in heaps of trouble. He is in stacks of trouble Right? Saul, the most powerful king in the known world, is chasing him. He is, he is cowering and hiding in caves. He's got a band of friends with him. They're hiding. They're running. It's not just Saul. Saul has set the most powerful army in the world on him. The army chasing after one guy. And he's running, and he's running, and he's hiding, and he doesn't know where to go, and he doesn't know what to do. It's not just Saul, it's not just the army. This guy, Saul, the king has turned rogue. And David's in a difficult position because Saul's son, Jonathan, is David's best friend. He is feeling uh, traumatized. There's trouble from without. There's trouble from within. Even his own friends are sometimes turning on him. And now, David is finally king, and he's looking back, and he's saying, wow, what a mess. I was in such crazy trouble, but God was with me. 
I wonder if you've ever looked back over your life and you've realized in a, there was a period of your life and you thought, what a mess. But God was with me. Maybe you're in a mess now. Maybe there's trouble in your life even now. Can I say right at the start, God is with you. He hasn't left you. He's with you. Through this, we're going to look at David's heart cry, his battles, his victories, and the troubles through five headings. Firstly, God, my strength. God, my strength. David doesn't start the psalm with his troubles. He starts with a massive declaration of faith. Not that is so much about his faith, but the object of his faith. I love you, Lord, my strength. That's how he starts. I love you, Lord, my strength. The object of David's love was God. He loved David more than humanity. He loved David more than fa- uh, he loved God more than fame or riches. He loved God with a boundless, intense, affectionate love springing from the depths of his heart. A few weeks ago, I had such a crazy, overwhelming week, and I hit Wednesday. And I realized I haven't stopped to take a breath and ask God to help me. I'm just trying to face this overwhelming, crazy week on my own. That's not what David does. David starts by declaring boldly, God, I put you first. God, you are my first love. His declaration is one that shows that he has a need. God, I've got a need I, within myself, am not sufficient. I'm not strong enough, but my strength and my provision and my satisfaction is found in another. It's found in you, God. And he goes on. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. To David, God is not just a rock, a deliverer, a fortress. No, he's saying, God, you are my rock. You are my deliverer. You are my shield. You are my fortress. There's a personal claim here. There's some massive truths here about the character of God. God, when I'm weak, you're my strength. When all around me seems hopeless, God, you're my hope. God, when I feel under siege, under attack, God, you're my fortress. You're a strong tower of protection. God, when my world is shaking, God, you're the, you're the solid rock. When my enemy around me feels like he's inside my head with lies, saying you're not good enough, you're rubbish. No, God, you extinguish the fiery arrows that come against me. When I doubt my salvation... When I doubt my salvation because of what I've done or because of what I haven't done, I'm reminded that, God, it's you that saves. God, when I'm weak, you're my stronghold because you're a faithful God who never fails me. Sometimes it's good to declare these truths to yourself, isn't it? And this is what David does. He preaches to himself. I want to encourage us. Let's preach to ourselves. Maybe you want to spend some time in this psalm over the next week, in Psalm 18, and just Preach it to yourself. It feels like this is a pattern of David's life. He's constantly reminding himself who God is. Psalm 100, he says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues for all generations. But despite 
David's incredible declaration of who God was, his problems and troubles don't go away. And they seem to follow him. They seem to cling to him. I wonder if you've ever been like that. There's like the stench that the problems kind of have. And as you're walking, you're like, just, I want this, this stench to go away. And it doesn't. It's like walking in doggy doo-doo. And it just clings. You can't shake it off. It's there. That's sometimes like our troubles. But David shows us that. This is the second thing. The trouble around me is no match for the God within me. Look at verse uh, 4 and 5. The cords of death entangled me. That's hectic, eh? The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave curled around me. The snares of death confronted me. That's he's describing the situation uh, that he's going through. These are his feelings, and they're real, because feelings are real. A few years ago, a friend of mine who was an experienced uh, paddler um, invited me to do the Breda River Canoe Marathon with him. Now, I'd always wanted to uh, kind of get into paddling, but I hadn't had the opportunity. And so I jumped at the opportunity. And um, if you don't know anything about paddling on a river, it's a long, this is a, it's called a K2. It's about from the wall to here long. It's about that long. And you sit one behind each other. Um, and so we practiced, we did training before the race. Um, and then on the, on the kind of lead up weekends, you've got to go and do sections of the river. And then finally the weekend came. And it's a two-day race, about 42 kilometers on each day. The first day, we did all right. There's a massive wear in one section of the river. Like literally, you kind of go down like that. I was in the front. We popped up. I was like, we made it. Vroom, down we go. And um, he was at the back getting sucked behind the waterfall, shouting at me. Um, but we did so well on the first day that they jumped us up two groups. So we were like super chuffed. Man, we've done so well. They've moved us forward in the group. We're now with like the, the pros or semi-pros or whatever. Um, the next day, we didn't realize it, but it had rained a couple of days before. And the river rose through the night. And the river was still rising. It had uh, risen like two meters. And it was just flowing so much faster. And so the rapids, you just kind of bump over them, but it is fast. And I don't know, probably because I was now a lot tired of the second day, but a lot more wobbly. And so we wiped out a couple of times. You can't just jump back in. You've got to go to the side, and you've got to empty the boat, and you've got to climb back in. We wiped out once, and coming up to an S-bend, and um, Stephen, my partner, is shouting at me, Get to the side! Get to the side! And we're both holding the boat, other hand holding the paddle, and I'm looking at the side, and it's just bush. I'm like, dude, where are we going to go? Anyway, I'm kind of getting to the side, listening to him. Next thing, we hit this clump of reeds, probably like this big, this clump of reeds in the middle of the river, and the boat flips and faces upstream, and it just fills with water, and the boat literally folds it's called wrapping your boat. It just goes, it just folds. And I lose my paddle, goes down. So I swim after my paddle, eventually find my paddle, bundu bash back, get the boat. We get it off the, the reeds onto the bank. And there's a farmer who's been kind of laughing at us and watching on the side of the bank. And he had some rope. We tie rope around the like, cockpit area. What do you use to fix all things? Duct tape. Duct tape. 
All right? Duct tape. We duct tape the like, whole kind of fold, and we finish the race. And uh, my kids are standing at the finish. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Dad, you came last. I'm like, we did not come last. We came third last. But we finished the race. We finished the race. I wonder if trouble and difficulty and pain can seem around every corner. Perhaps you're on the river of life. You're on the river of life and seem, things seem to be going okay. And then you come around the river, the, the corner, and you fall out of your boat, whatever your boat is, and the current is taking you and you don't know what to do. Maybe you've experienced what it's like to have water, it feels like water surging on and on and the injustices of life's circumstances. It isn't fair. It's surrounding you. Maybe you feel that you've been in the water your whole life. I don't even have a boat. And maybe the raging sea is all around you. The sea of life in South Africa is so overwhelming with problems that it's difficult to take a breath. Perhaps your river is a river of emotions because you're too scared or maybe too proud. Or maybe you look at other people and say, I don't think I could ever be as successful or as good or I can't do what they're doing. Or maybe for some, there's a raging river, but the river is inside your head and it's a river of emotion. And maybe it's a river of anxiety or darkness or fear and it's swirling around. Or maybe... You know that you've been rescued from the river of sin, but the sin keeps rising up and you can't get rid of it. No matter what you do, you know you're free, but it doesn't feel like you're free because the sin keeps on chasing you. Or maybe for you, at the moment you're not going through any hardships and you're just paddling nicely on the river of life. But can I say this? Trouble's coming. It's encouraging, isn't it? Well, that's what the Bible says. John 16 says this. This is Jesus talking. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Those aren't my words. That's what Jesus is saying. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's not forget that there's this internal struggle that's bigger than all others. And that's the one of sin ultimately has brought separation from God. But we have his power to overcome sin. But there is still this internal battle that sometimes rages within me. Paul says this in Romans 7. You ever done something? You know you don't want to do it. But you still do it. And then afterwards you feel regret, don't you? You feel guilty. You feel shame. I didn't want to do that, but why did, so why did I do it? I didn't want to say what I said to that person, but it just came out of my mouth. This is what Paul says in Romans 7. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. He's saying, why do I carry on sinning? And he goes on, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. So whether our trouble is external or whether it's internal, we can learn from David's tactic in this psalm. He doesn't run away from God. No, he, he runs to 
God. He doesn't try and solve his problems on his own. We see in verse 3 and 6, David's response. So he's talking about this, this, this entanglement. Eh? The cords of death are entangling me. And then he says this in verse 3 and 6. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I've been saved from my enemies. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And then he testifies to God's response to his cry. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. That's amazing, eh? You ever wondered if God doesn't hear you? No, it says here, your cry goes into his ears. David's response isn't to try and solve all his own problems. He admits his inadequacy and his weakness. Sometimes we don't do that. I'm, I can do this. No, you can't. David says, I can't do it. I can't solve these problems on my own. God gives us an incredible display of his faithfulness and power. God hears your cry. Why? Because he's compassionate and full of grace. It's so easy to believe the lie that God is distant and uninvolved. Where is he? Where is God? But all through scripture we see a God who is close. He is caring. He hears. He answers. Obviously God doesn't always answer your prayers, your cry the way that you think he would. Or the way you want him to. Paul, in all of his letters, he prays for different churches he would get alongside and say, hey, brothers and sisters, I'm praying for you. But you know what he never prays for? He never prays that your situation would change. He prays for you in the midst of your trouble, but he doesn't pray that your trouble would go. No, rather he prays that you would know a faithful God all the more fiercely and all the more faithfully. Tim Keller says this, Prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising His glory, the intimacy of finding His grace, and the struggle of asking His help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of His presence. What is He saying? That in the midst of trouble, when we cry to God, what do we know? His presence. If we don't cry to God, what do we know? Just pain. But even in the pain of trouble and turmoil, when we go to God, we can know His presence. Are you crying out to God? Are you crying out to God? David is brutally honest with his situation. The cords of death entangle me. But he's not trying to make himself more powerful than he is. He's not trying to be strong and pretend everything's okay. He's humbling himself in the midst of his trouble. And he's saying, God, I've got absolute need and dependency on you if you come to that place you've said god i've got absolute need and dependence on you sometimes what is our our remedy to overcome trouble what is our remedy worry we worry so i've got trouble ah i'm so worried i'm panicking i'm freaking out that's natural. We all do it. Don't worry, be happy. That doesn't really help, does it? What does that mean? I'm just going to worry more. Listen to this quote. Worry is a conversation you have with yourself about the things you cannot change. I'm freaking out, but I can't change it. 
Worry is a conversation you have with yourself about things you cannot change. Prayer is a conversation you have with God about the things He can change. You see the difference? About 10 years ago, we were uh, on holiday. Our oldest daughter is not here because she is serving uh, uh, in one of these uh, holiday clubs. Um, So she was about five, and we were on holiday in a shopping mall, and suddenly Michelle and I look at each other, where is she? Oh, well, she must be in this aisle. So we check. No. Oh, she's probably hiding in the clothes. No. We look. We can't find her anywhere. What do we do? Worry. <laughs> Panic. Freak out. Where is she? We run in different directions. I don't know if these guys, they must have been like tiny tots, right? And probably holding them, running around, freaking out, right? Did we freak out? Yes. Did we go to the security? Yes. Did we shout her name? Yes. But what else did we do? We cried out to God. In the midst of that kind of immediate trouble, we cried out to God. David cries out, God, I'm in distress. By the way, we did find her. I'm in distress. I need your help. God, you are worthy of praise, but I'm stuffed. But I'm relying on you. I'm relying on you. In David, we find a deep reliance, not on self, but on God. He admits that he's out of his depth. Do you need to do that right now? Maybe in your day of trouble, maybe in your time of trouble, maybe there's trouble coming, maybe you've just come through a period of trouble. Will you acknowledge your dependency on Him? Will you humble your heart? Why don't you say a quiet prayer even now? God, hear my cry. What's He going to do? Your prayer is going to go into His ear. That's what it says. Will you trust Him? in His mighty power in the midst of your, of your trouble. Maybe you need to say, God, I am sorry. Will you forgive me for trying to do things my own way and solve my own problems? I need you. Thirdly, God shows His power. God shows His power. Um, look at verse 7. There's this, this crazy part that talks about God and what he does. Maybe if, if you want to shut your eyes and just listen as I read, that's not an invitation to sleep, right? But listen up. The earth trembles and quakes and the foundations of the mountains shake. They trembled because he was angry. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones, bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. I love that. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. Your trouble may be too big for you to handle, but your trouble is not too big for God. Amen? God has promised to be with you. It's not a promise of no trouble. It's a promise of God being with you in your trouble because He is faithful. How is David so confident in light of everything that is going wrong? If you look at David's life, there's plenty of stuff that goes wrong. Verse 18, they confronted me in the day of my trouble. Have you had a day of trouble? Have you had a day of disaster? David didn't just have a day. He had days. In fact, he had years. 
They, they, they kind of say that it was like a decade, 10 years, where David was running away from Saul. Not just from Saul, but from the Philistines. 10 years of trouble? So how is he so confident in God? It's this little word. They confronted me in the day of my disaster. This word, but. This is the word which, which the, is the hinge on which the door of David's confidence hangs. But the Lord was my support. Isn't that amazing? But the Lord was my support. God was David's support. God showed his power. All through scripture, God has shown himself to be someone who rescues people. He's not lacking in power. So I ask myself the question, and maybe you want to ask yourself the same question. If God is not lacking power, why do we rely on ourselves so much and on him so little? Isaiah 59, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Everything is possible for our God and for God nothing is impossible. He is the sovereign one who reigns and rules over all things. We need to be reminded of who our God is and what he can do more often than we think. Our problems might seem big. Our problems might be big. But God isn't just bigger than our problems. He is. But God is also able to solve our problems. David was sure that the Lord was his support. God had showed himself faithful and powerful and nothing was going to change who God was. Okay, look at verse 29. With your help, I can advance against the troop. This is brilliant for like mind pictures. Just think of, of someone advancing against a, tr a troop with God's help. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Just think about that. A deer walking on a steep cliff. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. Who or what is advancing against you? Is it someone? Is this someone who's making your life difficult? Is it sin that overwhelms? Is it darkness that creeps in? I've known that. Like darkness, it kind of feels like, ah, I can't get this darkness out of my head. Is it lies that you're believing? What is your wall? Is it hopelessness? Is it something that you've done and, the, and you feel so yuck about it? So full of shame, David says, with your help, I can advance against a troop of depression. I can overcome the hopelessness because of your mighty strength. With my God, I can scale a wall. If there's a wall here, with your help, God, I can scale a wall. I can scale it. How? Help, God. You're going to be my help. You're with me. You're my fortress. You're my strength. With myself, 
I'm running straight into that wall. God, with your help, you give me springs on my feet. You give me deer, feet like deers. I can scale that wall. Right? There's a wall there. We've all got the walls. With God's help, you can scale the wall. We need to stand on our rock. We need to hold on to our deliverer. We need to climb into our fortress. This God, I'm not just going to sit here and look how high the wall is. No. That insurmountable sin that keeps coming back. God, give me your strength to scale it. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you feel stuck. Can I say God is with you? God is with you? Are you in a doldrum of inactivity for Christ? Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to blow wind in your sails again? That is a brilliant prayer. Holy Spirit, just come blow wind in my sails again. God says, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. Have you drifted away from the love of God because of the troop of toughness or the wall of unfairness of life? God would remind you this morning that he is your salvation and your stronghold. Why don't you just take that on? Yes, God, that's who you are. You're my stronghold. You're my salvation. Just receive that. He's with you. His grip is secure. He wants to make your feet secure like a mountain deer. He wants to strengthen your mind to overcome thoughts that are not from him. He wants to strengthen your arm. He desires to train your hand for battle. So that you, by knowing the truth of his power, you will overcome anything. Fourthly, Jesus, my righteousness. Jesus, my righteousness. You following? We're getting there. We're getting there. Jesus, my righteousness. Listen up. From verse 20, David goes into a section where he gives the reason why God is with him. And that can seem a little bit weird. So, David, because you're so good, that's why God helps you. Is that what you're saying? Verse 20, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, for I have kept the way of the Lord. It sounds quite self-righteous, eh? and it is. Now we need to remember that, that David lived in the previous dispensation. In other words, David lived before Christ. All right, He lived in the Old Testament. And so it's good to be inspired by David's example of how he cries out to God for help in the midst of trouble. And we know that David wasn't always perfect in keeping God's laws, even though he says that he's done it, because generally he did. And what would David have to do? He would have to take a sacrifice to the high priest. And he would have to say, here we go. Here's my dove, you the high priest. Here's my lamb. I'm giving that to you in place, this perfect lamb, in place of my sin, so that you can take away my sin. That's what David would have to do. But we also know that there's a greater example, a perfect example. A perfect example. God, the same God that David cried out to, that God sent Jesus, who came as the exemplary example. The absolutely perfect example. And we know, just like David messed up, we've also messed up. And the most beautiful thing to know about this powerful, enemy-stopping, darkness-defeating, impossible, wall-scaling God is that he did the, the most impossible thing for you and I. He stood in the place of our sin, and he took our sin. 
so that like David said, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. We don't need to say that. What can we say? The Lord has dealt with me according to Jesus' righteousness. Because Jesus, the righteous one, stood in our place and he gave us his righteousness. Righteousness means perfection, holiness. Jesus left that, took on our muck and our sin and our shame, and he says, here we go. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to give you my perfection. So when God looks on you, who does God see? He sees his perfect son, Jesus. And that's what we can say. Like David says, God, you've dealt with me according to my righteousness. And we say, God, you've dealt with me not according to my righteousness. You've dealt with me according to Jesus' righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. We can be confident in him because he first loved us. Now, this is probably my favorite verse in this passage. Verse 19. And this is the last. This is number five. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Number five, delight. Delight. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. Our defense is not like David's defense of being his performance in keeping God's law. Our defense is in this verse. God, you're going to care for me. Why? Because you delight in me. Because you care about me. Because you love me. Because you're compassionate about me. He cherishes you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He chose you before the beginning of the world. He rescued you. He is for you. He is committed to you. He is committed to your growth. And he loves you not because of anything you have done or anything that you haven't done. Other than the reason that he delights in you. He delights in you. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, no matter your age, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've done or haven't done, he delights in you. That's the truth. Take it on. And like David, we too can delight and praise and adore and trust God. Why? Because he first delights it in us. It's like going to a girl and saying, I delight in you. And you're not sure. How is she going to respond? I don't know. This, I could be making an idiot of myself. And I did, kind of, long ago. But you don't know. What is she going to say? When we go to God and we say, God, I, I need to cry out to you. God, I need to trust you. God, I'm in trouble. Help. We can be confident that God is not going to reject us. We can be confident that he's going to help us. We're going to be confident that he hears us. We can be confident that he's going to help us scale that wall. Why? Because he says, I delight in you. Because I first delighted in you before you ever even thought about me. I delight in you. Right at the end, David says, the Lord lives, praise be to my rock, exalt Exalted be God, my Savior. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. Maybe you've gone through trouble. Maybe you're in the midst of a day of disaster. Maybe you can foresee trouble. 
even if you can't. It's going to come. But in your trouble, God is your strength. He is your fortress. He is the one that you can trust in. Let's not be warriors. Let's be people of prayer that look to him like David. Let's not be people that are silent in our day of trouble, that, that are proud. I can do this. No, let's humble our hearts and say, God, I'm going to cry to you. Let's be people who trust him, not just for yourselves, for your church. God is the God of strength for this church, for your family, for you as an individual. Why? Because he's faithful, because he delights in you. Can I invite you to stand? And I'm going to lead us in some faith prayers. Wherever you are, whether it's trouble gone, trouble now, trouble coming, God is faithful and He is our strength. Amen? He is our rock and our fortress. And maybe we can just start where David starts. Say, God, I love you. You're my rock. Lord Jesus, we just want to declare that in faith we know that we are not too faithful but you are and so we just want to stand before you and we want to say again humbly god you're our rock and we love you we trust you afresh this morning lord i want to pray for any who are in the midst of trouble lord i want to pray that you would strengthen them Lord, I pray that the truths that we've heard this morning, that they would fill their minds and that they would fill their hearts with courage and faith that not in our strength, but with your strength, we can scale whatever war that is of trouble. Lord, won't you forgive us for doubt? Maybe you need to say that this morning. Maybe you need to say a prayer of sorry. Maybe you just need to say, sorry, God, I worry way more than I trust you. I try and do things in my own strength more than I do them in your strength. God, forgive me for in the day of trouble not crying out to you, but for actually turning away from you. God, I pray that you would rush to us with your forgiveness because you are God of grace. Lord, Lord I want to pray for this church. I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, that more and more we would trust you. I want to thank you for that testimony uh, this morning that when we step out in faith, God, you're our help. Lord, when we talk about how you are great and how you are strong, you're there with us. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage to do that more and more. Lord, and we want to, lastly, we want to say, won't you help us to delight in you because you first delighted in us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our righteousness, that we can say that we can look on you, God, and you can look on us because of Jesus' righteousness. We thank you for that, and we thank you that you're a God who doesn't reject us or discard us. No, you delight in us. We want to say thank you for your delight, God, and want you help us to delight in you. Amen. Amen.